0: talk to you today in a message entitled, Three of Life's Biggest Questions. Three of Life's Questions. Now, speaking of questions, I did want to start off with something funny. By the way, you guys can always send me stuff. I love all this. And uh, this was a really, really good one. I did hear something about a guy who broke into a house one night, and he wanted to find something small and valuable. So he's walking around the house And as he's walking around the house, all of a sudden he hears this voice. And it says, Jesus is watching. He thought to himself, my gosh, that's my conscience. or some voice stuck in my head from some Sunday school teacher. Years ago, when I used to go to church, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. So he's walking through the house. He's got his flashlight. He's trying to find this, you know, very valuable thing. And then he can just take it. And all of a sudden, he heard it again. Jesus is watching you. He thought to himself, my gosh, this is like a real voice. It's not just in my head. He takes his flashlight, he puts it in the corner. It's a parrot. A parrot. He goes, well, what's your name? He says, well, my name is Moses. He goes, well, that's a stupid name. What kind of goofy family would name their parrot Moses? He said, the same family that named their pit bull Jesus. (laughs) If you didn't like that, you need prayer. That was amazing. That was awesome. All right. How many of y'all been enjoying studying First Peter? Come on. How many of y'all been enjoying it? Five of y'all are happy about that. I can tell. Y'all just fired up. Today, I want to talk to you out of 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to talk to you about three of life's questions. Peter is finishing up this letter that he wrote to these young Christians in Asia Minor, and he's talking to them, and it's interesting. 1 Peter chapter 5, it's sectioned in three different ways, which presupposes there are questions that he's answering. Just like you would get to the end of a letter. How you start a letter is important. But how you end a letter is probably more important. Because it's these last final words that he's actually leaving with them. And the way in which he had positioned these presupposes there are questions that he wants us as believers to ask ourselves. Are we, quote, doing what he's asked us to do? Three questions about life. Number one, will you, here's the first one, will you serve yourself or serve others? 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1 The scripture reads, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder, he says, look, I'm an elder, I'm a leader, but I'm now talking to you as a fellow elder and leader. And I'm also a witness of the suffering of Christ. By the way, I was there when Jesus was being tortured. I was there. I saw the whole thing. I lived with him for three years. I saw what he did. I saw how he healed the sick. And I also saw... How he led. He said, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now, here's the encouragement Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those who were entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. As Peter wraps up this letter, Peter takes a moment to speak to pastors and to church leaders. Specifically, he's talking to those that have been entrusted under their care, a stewardship, a leadership. They are leading people. They are shepherding over people. Specifically, he's talking to pastors. But in an extended way, he's really talking to all leaders that have influence over followers. And he begins to talk to them about their motives. He says, do it willingly, eagerly. Don't do it for a dishonest gain. Don't do it under compulsion. Now, you have to understand the backdrop. Who is he writing to? He's writing to people that have in their understanding, they're under oppressive Roman leadership. Watch this. Nero is the emperor who tortured and killed Christians. And now Peter's writing, and here's what he's doing. He's laying out a template of servant leadership versus self-serving leadership. And here's what he says. He says, you are to be a Leader that doesn't lord over people. Who lords over? The emperor is lording over them. In other words, the Emperor's in it for himself. But don't be like that. I live with Jesus. I saw how Jesus led. Jesus was a servant leader, not a, quote, "self-serving leader, but a servant leader. In other words, be like Jesus. It's interesting the difference between a servant leader. Or a self-serving leader, are you gonna serve yourself or are you gonna serve others? A servant leader is one who understands that God is placed, them, whether it's in the ministry. I know I'm speaking to myself as a pastor. Those of you that own businesses. Those of you that are leaders, supervisors, managers, over anybody under anybody that's been entrusted to your care, anybody that you're overseeing, Peter would say to you, why are you doing it and how are you doing it? Are you doing it? Do you think the followers exist to add value to you? Or do you realize that your position as a leader and your influence as a leader is actually to add value to them? The issue is who's serving who? A servant leader, someone that is modeled, that is walking out the Jesus style of leadership, understands that the leader adds value to the followers. The leader exists for the followers. The followers don't exist for the leader. I can't tell you the conversations that I've had over the years with different leaders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, ministers, pastors, political leaders, and they, they, they have it all wrong. They, they, they think that. I, I want to be a leader. Why? Man, I, I wanna, I wanna. In other words, being a leader is all about adding value to people. Question. Are you in a leadership position? Are you overseeing people? Peter would say there's a different way to do it. We don't do it the way that the Roman government does it. We don't do it. We're not trying to extract. We're not trying to get followers to add value to us. Peter would say, help people, help people achieve what God has put in their heart. Add value to them, care for them, shepherd them. Peter would say, be a servant leader, not a self-serving leader. Peter's reminding them, this applies to all leaders in all spheres of society. I I believe that we, we are in a crisis. We're in a leadership crisis. And the reason why, in every sphere of society, it's because... There's a difference between a self-serving leader and a servant leader. Question. All right, here it is. Did Jesus come to be served or to serve? That's a rhetorical question. Think about it. I'm going to give you the answer here in a moment. I mean, how many times have we said, man, it's so important that we serve the Lord? Absolutely. But don't ever forget this. We serve the Lord not as the initiator, but as the responder. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be what? Come on, say it. What? I thought the Lord, I thought Jesus was all about us serving Him. Absolutely, we serve the Lord. But we serve the Lord in a response to Him first serving us. He came and He gave His life for us. He died for you. He died for me on the cross. And Peter is saying, I live with Jesus. I witness the sufferings of Christ. I understood his mission, his intention. And we are in, listen, a crisis of leadership. To every sphere. Why? Because there's so many self-serving leaders. Question. If you're in a leadership position, if you have influence over people, are you a self-serving leader or are you a servant leader? The absolute best leaders that I know... Imbibe this. This is part of who they are. Mark chapter 9, verse 35. And he sat down, Jesus called the 12 and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and a servant of all. Question is, what is your motivation as a leader? A servant leader adds value, it helps people. In other words, they go to work every day thinking, How can I make my employees better? I I had an opportunity this week to speak at a leadership. Uh, conference in New Orleans, and uh, it was a great opportunity. And there was some a great group of people there. And one of the speakers, he actually was on a video uh, because of his age, he wasn't able to travel. But his name is Ken Blanchard. And those of you that have been around a little while, um, I'm a little bit on the younger end. Related to him, he was real popular in the '70s and '80s. I remember in college, his his kind of his Magna Carter, kind of the the first out the box book that was so powerful was a book. Some of you guys remember this book called The One Minute Manager. How many of you remember that book? Anybody? Okay. And what was his principle? His whole principle was catch people doing things right and then celebrate that. He was the speaker and as he was speaking, I was just overwhelmed. I thought to myself, what a powerful speaker. He's 80 something. I think he was close to 90 years old. And one of his famous lines is this. I love this. Ken Blanchard He said this, the greatest leaders recognize that they are here to serve. When you wake up in the morning, leaders, I'm asking this question. Managers, people over anybody. Do you wake up in the morning thinking, my role today is to serve, not to, quote, be served? Verse 3, having, being an example to the flock. Peter said, be an example. He's talking to to, yes, pastors and spiritual leaders, but he's talking to anyone at any level that occupies a leadership position. He says, be an example. By the way, one of the things I've learned as I've walked with God over the years is you do not reproduce what you want. You reproduce who you are. Pastor, I just don't know what's wrong with my employees. I just feel like they've got the wrong attitude. I feel like they have the wrong spirit. And again, I would say this respectfully. I would say are they seeing a servant leader lead them? Because if you're If you're about adding value to them, guess what? Then they will, quote, take that same spirit and add value to others. In other words, you don't reproduce what you're not. You reproduce what you are. And that's why Peter kept going back and forth, back over. He says, Jesus was the servant leader. I saw him. I saw his sufferings. He's the model. Not Nero. Jesus is the model. It's not top down. It's bottom up. In other words, the way to become great is to give. The way to go up is to go down. The way to have is to give it away. Yeah. Be examples to the flock. And then he says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Ultimately, All of us, Peter would say, we're going to stand before the Lord. The chief shepherd, we believe in the return of Christ, the second coming of Jesus. And one day, we're going to stand before the Lord. The question is, did we take care of those that were entrusted to our care? Was it about us? And I want to say this to any leader that's listening to me, anybody that has any leadership influence over anybody, are you there for them or are they there for you? Let me help you biblically. You're there for them. Questions I would ask you as a leader, are you going to serve yourself or serve others? The second question that Peter is leaving this young church with is, will you humble yourself or be humbled? Look at verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to you elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed. Everybody say clothed. This is an interesting thought. Be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Here the apostle Peter broadens his challenge to everyone. Nobody gets off the hook here, and he says an interesting thing. Verse 5, he says, be clothed with humility. What does it mean to be clothed with humility, think about clothing just for a moment. You know, you wake up in the morning, right? And whatever time of the day you know that you wake up, you wake up and and, and you look at your closet, and you're like, okay, what am I going to wear? You think about your context. What are you getting ready to walk into? Maybe on Saturday morning, if you're off, you may put on something a little bit different, right? But if you if it doesn't matter, the point is you're going to take some moments, some time, and you're going to evaluate what do I have, what are my options, and where am I going? What are my options? And where am I going? Yeah, you guys ever woke up? I've done this before. Where I'm just real tired, just kind of going there, and I just put some stuff. I get to the gym because I work out three days a week, and I get to the gym, and it's like uh, your shirts inside out. anybody ever done that before? Okay, the rest of y'all. Y'all are so holy. I guess I'm only the only messed up one here. But anyway, I've done it many times. Matter of fact, I've been preaching before where I recognize I've had two different socks on. So that's why I don't wear socks anymore. So anyway, so I actually have done this before. Years ago, I had tennis shoes. Two different pairs look very similar. I actually wore a right from one shoe and a left from the other. Why is that? I'll tell you why that is. Because I wasn't intentional when I got dressed. When you clothe yourself, you're going to need to take a moment here. By the way, it's important to clothe yourself before you leave the house. If you don't, we put you in jail <laughs> or other places. In other words, so, so it's important. You do realize like it's a prerequisite to interfacing with society. At least at this point, it still is. Amen? Amen. Sheesh. But anyway, so you've got to take your time. You can't just wake up and just rather, you gotta be intentional. What am I gonna wear? Okay, I'll put this on because I'm going to this place. So you find it. Okay, so let me just ask you if you have to be intentional with physical clothing, how much more do we have to be intentional with spiritual clothing? Peter said, everybody say, clothe. Clothe yourself. And it takes time. You gotta put your pants on, you put your shirt on, you, you, you. You're intentional. How many times we walk out of the house in the morning and we go smack dab in the middle of it. We go, I mean, just attack the day. But we're not clothed with humility. First time somebody cuts us off. First time something happens at work. Instead of, instead of, you know what's confusing is the high road and the low road? I don't care. The bottom line is because sometimes what some people say the high road is good, sometimes the bad. I like to say the low road. The low road is the humble road. If you take the humble road, can I tell you something? It's very difficult to take the humble road when you've not prepared mentally to do it. In other words, I'm going to be facing challenges today. You're going to be facing challenges today. And when you do, how are you going to respond? Peter says, clothe yourself with humility. Look at verse 5. God resists the proud. Why is it important? God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Pastor, I just feel like things in my life are not working out the way I thought. Let me say this. It could be the devil's resisting you. And you need to kick the devil in the face and stand again. But it could be God is resisting you. God may be resisting you because he's protecting you because you don't have the character to handle the thing that you're believing for. Because there's some pride he's trying to work out of you because he doesn't want to see your life destroyed. That was good preaching just now. Really good preaching. So by the way, you need the discernment, is the devil resisting you or is God resisting you? Well, we know God resists the proud. Not to hurt us, but to protect us. To protect us because he loves us. But he gives grace to the humble. I want God's full-time job not to be resisting me. I want God's full-time job to be giving me grace. He says, he'll give grace. If I say give grace, he'll give grace to the humble. And he'll exalt you in due time. That's what God will do. Now, let me give you three ways... Three ways to clothe yourself in humility. Write this down. If you're following online, you've got notes. It's important, by the way, at Church of the King, I teach through the Bible. I do topics. I'll teach through books of the Bible. It's important to bring things to write notes, all right? How do you clothe yourselves practically in humility? Preachers are famous for inspiring people, but often low on the low end, equipping people. I'm going to equip you how to clothe yourself, all right? Three things. Number one say, Pastor, I want to learn how to clothe myself with humility. Number one, first thing is start with self-awareness. Start with self-awareness. Take a self-assessment test. One way to begin to do that it related to humility is by asking people that are around you. Close friends, mentors, godly advisors, people around you that you trust. And here it is. Ask them. Be bold enough to ask them to be honest with you About you, to be honest with you. Hey, if you see anything in my life, man, if you see how I'm treating my spouse or what am I doing with my kids or money, in other words, are you, are you, is there anybody in your life that you ask to be honest with you about you? If you ask for feedback, by the way, feedback is breakfast for champions. All great players have to embrace feedback from their coaches. That's what a film is the day after the game. It's feedback. You could have done this differently here. You could have opened up quicker. You could have exploded through the line quicker. In other words, feedback shouldn't just be in the sports world. Feedback should be in the character world. In other words, is there anybody in your life that you trust enough to be what's called, watch this, a trusted advisor to give you feedback? Start with self Awareness. Let me give you another thing. B, listen twice as much as you talk. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're talking and you know they're not listening. They're just waiting for their turn. And over their head, it's, would you please be quiet, fool? I got something to say. You know what I'm talking about. They're so rude. They're interrupting you. And, they're, and let me just say something. That's the reason why James said it this way. It said, let every person be swift to hear. Every man swift to hear, slow to speak. Why? God has given us two ears to hear and one mouth to talk. There's a reason. God is saying, if you want to... <laughs> If you want to clothe yourself with humility, set out in the day to do what? You set out in the day, I'm going to value other people's perspective, not just my own. Now, let me say this to you. Let me help people. I'm going to go to kind of gear two in this. If I listen to you, it means I value you. But if I listen to you, I don't have to agree with you. That's important for couples. Just because you listen to them, it doesn't mean I have to agree with you. Listening is listening. Listening isn't necessarily agreeing. What listening says is I value your perspective. And that's clothing yourself with humility. So, pastor, how do I clothe myself? Start with self-awareness. Two, listen twice as much as you talk. C, own your own stuff. A humble person is not afraid to apologize. It's amazing to me how often people don't apologize Everybody say, I'm sorry. Sorry. Say it again, I'm sorry. Sorry. That's first level stuff. It's good, but there's another progression. There's another level. And here it is. I've done this before with you guys. If I'm your pastor, you've heard me do this before. I'm sorry. Now, here's the big one. This is hard. Take a deep breath. Everybody breathe in. Everybody breathe out and say this, I was wrong. Ooh, how'd that feel? Y'all okay? Everybody still alive? Why is it so hard for us to say that? I'll tell you the reason why. Because we think when we admit we're wrong, we're less than as a person. No, you're actually more than. When you say you're wrong, you actually grow in the eyes of people. When you say I was just wrong, I, I'm sorry. you actually—it's a testimony that you're in a growing human being. There's only one person perfect. His name is Jesus. Admit your mistakes admit your mistakes. A humble person, a humble person, a humble emotionally healthy person doesn't allow their ego to prevent them from being honest about themselves and where they are. A humble person is self-aware. A humble person truly listens. A humble person has high emotional intelligence and says they're sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me very quickly. So question. Peter's finishing the letter. First First question he had is, will you be a self-serving leader or a servant leader? We're going to be servant leaders like Jesus. We're going to add value to others. Number two, will you be humble or will you be humbled? So I want to ask you this. Who are you asking? I'm asking everybody. I'm asking everybody that's watching me, every location, everybody online. Here's what I'm asking. Who are you asking to be honest with you about you? Is there anybody? Here's another one. How long has it been since you, since you said, I'm sorry, I was wrong? The next verse, Peter speaks of one other, the key enemies in life, anxiety. How do we deal with anxiety? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Practically, that means giving your burdens to God. Our cares are our anxieties. And Peter says, cast. Everybody say cast. Come on, say cast. Did you guys, you guys have seen The Chosen? How many of y'all have seen The Chosen? Any of y'all locations? Okay, The Chosen. You guys remember what Peter was before he was an apostle? What was it? He? he was a what? A, a fisherman. Isn't it interesting that God allowed Peter to be the one to write this? We believe all the Bible's inspired, and yet God uses their professions. God used that analogy, casting. Casting is this. I'm casting. What am I doing? Or Peter. Peter didn't have a single rod, but he had a cast net, right? So the cast net, well, you throw it out. So, so Peter, if all the people in the Bible, he knew something about casting. And he said, cast. Everybody say, cast. cast. Your cares. Everybody say, cast your, say it. Cares. I wonder if the reason that we often get into crisis is because we didn't cast our cares. Not always. But sometimes the reason why things become, if you'll cast your care on a daily basis, then it won't end up as a crisis. Sometimes crises are just, they happen, they're individual. But sometimes they're accumulative. What would happen to the quality of your life emotionally if every day... You woke up and you cast your care. Now, now a cast net, like Peter, you throw it out and it does come back. Well, what do you do when it comes back, Pastor? You throw it out again. That's called daily dependency upon Jesus. So I'm going to cast it out again. That worry, I'm going to cast it that, that fear, I'm going to cast it out. That anxiety, I'm going to cast it out. Everybody say, cast, cast. your, your cares. cares. Okay, I'm going to cast your cares. Who am I going to cast my cares to? I'm not just casting them in space. I'm casting them on the Lord, yes. the one who can help me. A truly humble person recognizes that their life by themselves is unmanageable, but their life with God's help is sustainable. Yeah. All right, third question. Here it is. He's finishing the letter. He's getting ready to say bye-bye. He's getting ready to send the email. Number one, the first question is, Will we become servant leaders or self-serving leaders? Number two, will you humble yourself or be humble? Number three, here it is. The last thing he says to them in this letter, here it is. I'm adding the questions, but the context presupposes this question. Here it is. Will you resist the enemy or be devoured? Look at verse eight right here. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible is so powerful. It's true. It's relevant. It's life changing, but it's equipping. It's equipping us. The Bible will teach you about who Jesus is. And how to have a personal relationship with Christ where you'll spend, you can can repent, trust Christ as your Savior, and spend eternity with Him. But the Bible also equips you how to have a successful Christian life on earth. Peter is ending this letter with some of the most powerful, practical, insightful wisdom given to mankind. And he says this: He says, Be sober. Everybody say, Be sober. I want that just to kind of just rest on you for a moment. Everybody say be sober. I wish that would apply to all of Louisiana on a Saturday night. (laughs) Be sober, be vigilant. What does it mean to be sober? To be sober means to be calm, circumvent, and not under the influence. Why would somebody want to be under the influence of anything other than the Holy Spirit? Why? By the way, Peter apparently is into this word. He uses it in chapter 1. Be sober. Everybody say, be sober. And then the kids, it, look. He's getting ready to... F- and the, hey, 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 hey. Be sober. Chapter 1, be sober. Oh, oh, by the way, be sober. Why would somebody want to be under the... Think of the term under. You're under something. Why do you want to be under the influence of something? Why? Well, the reason why you do it is because you're using whatever that is, you fill in the blank, to medicate the stresses of life. There are better ways to be, un- why don't you be under the power of the Holy Spirit? Be under the presence of God, be under something productive. <laughs> Pastor, are you talking to me? I don't know who else I'm talking to but you. Everybody say, be sober. Then he says, be vigilant. What does it mean to be vigilant? Stay awake, be watchful, be on alert. Vigilant. Why? Because there's a devil. There's a real devil. There's a real spiritual enemy. I know we have a lot of new believers in our church at all of our locations. We have new people. I want to say this. We really do believe the Bible says we live in two worlds. We live in a natural world, but there's also the spiritual world. The spiritual world is the dark. Listen, there's a dark dimension of the spiritual realm that is actually oppressing people. A lot of the problems that you have in the natural world, some of them are natural, but some of them are spiritual. Here's the problem if you try to fight spiritual problems with natural means, you can't defeat spiritual enemies with natural means. You need spiritual weapons to defeat spiritual powers. Paul said it this way, Ephesians chapter 6. This is important. I know this is new for some people, it's in the Bible. Paul said it this way, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, this is important. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You think your problem is your spouse. No, it's actually the devil that's trying to destroy your marriage. You think the problem is the government. Well, there's actually spirits behind that manipulating leaders. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness and heavenly places. Everybody say, be sober. Be vigilant. Watch, watch. It means to watch. In the Old Testament, they would have sentinels, S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L. They watchmen, watch, guards that would watch forts you'd have like the high towers you'd watch for the enemy coming don't miss this and they could alert the other soldiers the enemy's coming so so the, Peter uses the same concept we're to watch what are we to watch watch over our family watch over our kids where we see the enemy trying to come in watch over our marriages watch over our church watch over our community watch over the nation in other words we're to everybody say watch we're to watch. What are we to watch? We're to watch for the enemy because the Bible says there's a devil that's see. He, what is it? He's seeking to devour people. I wonder if there's a direct, I know there's a direct correlation. The less sober you are and the less watchful you are, the more potential for you to be devoured. Don't be devoured. Don't be devoured by the enemy. The most powerful, the the, the greatest power on the planet is not military power, political power, financial power. It's prayer power. When the church of Jesus Christ prays and speaks the word, that's the strongest power. That's why we need to pray for our political leaders. If a political leader is not a Christian, they're manipulated by demonic spirits They're puppets. You do realize that. They're manipulated. The enemy can just shoot fiery darts, put whatever he wants in her mind, in his mind, and manipulate them. That's why it's so important. As believers, we need to pray for them. Pray for leaders in all spheres. Why? We need to pray that their hearts would submit to Christ and they would be governed by the Spirit of God. I know this is heavy for people. Your problem's not with me. Your problem's with the Bible if you don't like it. That was good, by the way. I just thought I'd share that with you. Pastor Steve, you really take this thing serious. This, this is a matter of life or death because there's a real devil that wants to destroy your life and destroy your purpose, destroy the dream of God in your heart, take your kids out, take your family out. There's a real devil. And you need to know how to fight spiritually. You need to know how to fight and win in the spirit realm. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, resist. Everybody say resist. You're resistant. Do you know what the word resist means? Oh, is this going to sound familiar? Antihistamine. Antihistami, to stand and resist in the Bible. You know what that is? It's to push back. Resist him. Peter says resist him. Don't just give in. Don't just give in to those dark thoughts. Don't just give in to that addiction. Don't just give in to that. Don't just give in to that flesh pattern. Just to, Don't just give in to that anti-biblical worldview. Don't just give in. Resist. Resist what? Steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world the greatest way to resist the enemy is when we stand on the word of god just like jesus in the wilderness and speak the word against the enemy stand in faith we stand in faith we stand. so we're watching we're sober we're watching and we're resisting we're sober we're watching and we're resisting i pray for you do you pray for me are you praying for your kids I'm talking to you. I'm talking to everybody. A lady came to me. Are you talking to me? I'm not talking to the lady down the street at First Baptist. Of course I'm talking to you. I pray for you. Do you pray for me? Do you pray for our nation? Are you just complaining about what's going on? Or do you speak the word of God? Do you declare the scriptures that this nation, that the kingdom should come and God's will to be done? Are are we part of the solution or part of the problem? Which one? Which one are we? Are we just alive? Are we fighting with our spouse? Listen to me. Are we fighting with our spouse, or are we grabbing their hand, praying? Ephesians chapter six, verse thirteen. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, what am I doing? I'm resisting. I'm sober. I'm watching. I'm resisting. I'm not under the influence of anything in the world. I've got bright eyes and I'm alert and I'm watching for the devil. Peter said, he's roaring about. He's roaming around. And I'm watching. I'm watching in prayer. I'm watching in faith. Could it be, could it be, could it be that if you prayed with your spouse, instead of calling them the enemy, that your eyes would be open, you'd see there's a real devil trying to destroy that marriage. Could it be, could it be, if you prayed together, if you prayed together, if you held hands, and God would give you eyes to see the spiritual forces trying to destroy that relationship. Could it be? Could it be if you prayed together, if you prayed together and stopped being pray for the enemy, you'd have a, an ability to resist the enemy. Pray together. Stand together. I, I'm telling you, the spiritual casualties are high right now. And it's because people, they're not awake. I'm trying to help you as your pastor. I know this is heavy. I'm trying to lean in as hard as I can to help you, listen, to not be devoured. Because guess what? I'm going to stand before God one day. Was I faithful to preach the word of God to God's people to make sure you're not devoured by the enemy? That's my call. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask couples right now. I just sense the Holy Spirit if you're married at any one of our campuses, hold hand with your spouse right now. You've been fighting with one another. Your problem is not your spouse. The problem's the devil trying to destroy and trying to lie to you that it is your spouse. Holy Spirit, right now, we pray right now. Lord, we pray. I take authority over the lies of the devil right now that would try to destroy that relationship. We take authority over it in Jesus' name. And we stand in faith for every marriage in this church, every location, every campus in the mighty name of Jesus. We're not ignorant to the enemy's devices. Our eyes are open. Our eyes are bright. We're sober. We're alert. We're vigilant in the spirit. We know the enemy's trying to destroy, and we resist him. What God has joined together, let no man separate. We, we, We resist the enemy. We resist the enemy in the life of our children. We resist the enemy in the life of our church. We resist the enemy in the life of our nation. We stand in faith. We stand in faith. We stand stand on the word of God. Not the strength of our willpower, but the strength of God's word power underneath our feet. We stand in faith. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, if you receive that word, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Can we do that right now? listen to me I want everybody to look at me I pushed you today I pushed you on purpose I'm trying to get you to wake up as a pastor I can't tell you the lives I've seen destroyed because they were under the influence of the world and they weren't awake wake up wake up God wants to equip you how to succeed in every area of your life if you do it God's way I want everybody to bow their heads I have one minute left if you do not know Christ if you're not sure about your relationship with God I want to pray with you right now wherever you are, whatever location. I can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. I tell you, Ken can't. His name is Jesus. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today that you're ready to stand before God with every eye clothed and every head bowed? Right where you are, pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. that that's you at the count of three. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But you know who you are. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You need Christ. You need the blood of Jesus to wash you, to cleanse you, and to make me new. If that's you, they kind of do lift your hand up high so I can see it. One, two, three. Quickly, hold it up high. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand. I see yours right there. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you right there. God bless you. God bless you up top. God bless you, man. God is moving by his spirit. Jesus loves you. He's not mad at you. God bless you, man. God bless you as well. God loves you and he cares about you. Anybody else? Church family, let's pray with those that are trusting Christ. The Holy Spirit, I just sense God's presence right now. God loves you. He's not mad at you. He's trying to save you, set you in a better place in your life. Let's pray together, church. Come on, let's pray with him. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say this. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. Now let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people.
1: What an amazing message. And if you just gave your heart to Christ today, we want to say congratulations. This is the best decision that you will ever make. You are loved, you are forgiven, and the Bible says that you are a new creation. And if I was to sit across from you at a coffee shop or a park, I would say these two things. I would say one, get the right resources to help you follow Christ, and number two, get the right people around you to encourage you and challenge you in your relationship with Christ. And if you fill out that link, we can actually help you with both of those things. And someone will follow up with you because we really, really wanna help you walk out your new life with Christ. Yes, absolutely. We wanna stand with you as you begin this new journey with Jesus. And maybe you've made that decision today for the first time, or maybe you just have a circumstance or you're struggling with something and you need one of us to pray with you Uh, Uh, If you're watching live, engage in the chat room right now. We have a host who would love nothing more than to pray with you and join their faith with yours. Yeah, that's awesome. So thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. It's been so fun. And I want to tell you, come back next week because we have a new series entitled Overflow. You do not want to miss it. Bring a friend, be here. It's going to be amazing. So we'll see you here same time. Same place. We'll see you guys.